how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Jason Fuchs looks familiar. It's either his youthful optimism or the fact that you've seen him repeatedly over the last two decades on episodes of Cosby, Law and Order, The Sopranos, and opposite Elijah Wood in the movie Flipper. While truly enjoying his acting career, Fuchs has found a new spotlight in screenwriting. After selling a handful of scripts and being brought on to chisel out Ice Age 4, his new project is one of a lifelong obsession. Fuchs' passion project hits the big screen and the masterful direction of Joe Wright. Currently, Fuchs is also working on I Still See You, Minecraft the Movie, and Luna Park, which comes from a Mark Bowden story, along with his story credits on Wonder Woman. In addition, the print interview for this conversation is available on Creative Screenwriting's website. Well, let's see. I mean, I, I actually had sort of a weird, circuitous path to screenwriting because I started as an actor. Right. I started acting when I was really young, when I was like seven, and was, you know, so excited and into it and very much something that I wanted to do. When you're a kid actor, you see a lot of kids whose parents are directing them to auditions and look like they want to kill themselves. This is something I was right. just obsessed with. I remember sitting and watching movies as a kid, pointing to the screen and telling my parents I wanted to be in the box, which is a thought I meant that a learning disability or wanted to be in show business. Right. Which, by the way, not, not mutually exclusive. Yeah. So it was, re it was really sort of, I guess, senior year of high school, maybe end of junior year of high school, where it started to come together for me. I My first writing opportunity really came about because I was getting ready to go to college. I was doing right. college you know, applications, and I realized I needed to do you know, one of these internships to make me look smart. And so I ended up doing an internship with this place called the Global Information System, GIS. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is going to be a little weird, but I promise it's true. It was an independent government-level intelligence service. Okay. And essentially what they did was they gave second opinions for governments. And I am, and I, I was then, I still am, really curious about foreign affairs and especially the Middle East and stuff like that. So I thought, right. oh, this is perfect. I'll go right to this place. It'll look like I'm a really smart dude, and maybe I'll get into OK school. So I went and worked there in Virginia for a summer. They ended up hiring me to do intelligence analysis, and I ended up, by sort of, I guess, freshman year of college, becoming their UN correspondent. That was the first time I'd ever been paid to write. 
So I'm still acting, by the way. It still hasn't occurred to me that I should be screenwriting, which seems like a fairly obvious choice considering I'm already in the business. And right. I end up, through this experience, meeting this really lovely Iranian opposition leader who, for whatever reason, we just really got along. Yeah. He just clicked. He was just the most adorable, sweet Iranian opposition leader you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and we, I had to do an interview with him, and everything he said in the interview was great, but it sort of came out wonky, you know, because he wasn't great with England. So, you know, he's trying to explain to me the country if we back the opposition, wouldn't break up into ethnic division. And so uh-huh. he said to me, you know, Jason, let me tell you something. Iran is like marble, not a cake. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, it's good, but, you know, we got to tweak it because if people hear that, uh, they're going to say marble cake. And he said, yeah. what, what is this marble cake you speak of? <laughs> and I said, you know, it's a dessert. It's delicious. Don't even worry about the marble cake. We're just going to dive in. And he said, right, would you underwrite? I said, what do you mean? He basically told me to make the interview to write his responses as well as my questions. And right. I did that and got completely carried away. It was my first time <laughs> writing dialogue. I yeah. made it sound like something out of the Aaron Sorkin film. You know, <laughs> big, overblown statements about liberty right. and the heart of the night. It was out of control. And right. because I was an idiot, it hadn't occurred to me people would read this and have a positive response, which is what happened. And as a result, he was invited to give a series of speeches in person. <laughs> Which he thought was great. And I said, no, this is a disaster because they're expecting, you know, this. They're getting Marble Monarchy. Right. So he said, there's no way you write the speeches. And so he hired me to write a series of speeches. So I I went and wrote these speeches and went and saw him deliver this big one in New York. And he killed it. He's a natural performer. He got up there. And he was amazing. (laughs) First question in, however, I had not anticipated a QA. and a And legitimately, someone's like, I'm concerned the country could split into ethnic division. And you can just see his eyes light up. He's like, let me tell you something. And I'm trying to make eye contact. Let me tell everybody something. Iran is like marble, not a cake. And you kind of just start from the crowd go, marble cake? And it was at that point I decided I should be writing in an arena with less dire consequences for fucking up. Right, right. And I wrote my first screenplay about that experience. And that really is what got me going. And it is not a great script, but it was, yeah. I was proud of the idea. Sort of, I learned by doing and figured things out as I went. And that script got me my first literary agent. I was already repped as an actor. I gave that script to the lit department at my then uh, talent agency. And went from there. And wrote a short film after that, which I also acted in. That was uh-huh. a comedy. And sort of thought, well, that was okay. Let me try a feature-length comedy. Wrote a feature comedy. And that feature script, the script called The Last First Time, was ultimately the script that really sort of changed my life. Uh, because uh-huh. that was the script that not only got me my current agent, which was then Endeavor, but it's also the script that went into Fox as a sample and ultimately got me hired to write Ice Four, which was a, right. you know, obviously an incredible opportunity and so exciting and sort of just really changed so many things. Right. Do you always um, write by yourself or do you ever write with partners? Well, uh, I always write by myself when I have a choice. ICH4 was a situation where I was coming in on the fourth film in a franchise, and uh, a really talented writer and a great guy named Michael Berg, who had co-written the first movie and the third movie and had done some uncredited stuff on the second film. Michael Berg is, in many ways, the real author of the ICH films. And right. uh, Berg was already... The, the idea on ICH4 was that they would bring in someone new to team up with Michael. So that, that was my only real experience co-writing, uh, which I actually loved. 
But uh, in general, I'm sort of antisocial and difficult, and <laughs> I, I kind of just like being in my own element and, and writing by myself. Gotcha. What are some of your other, like, writing rituals? Do you write, like, in the morning? Do you do big blocks of time, or do you chip away at it? Well, my writing rituals sort of vary depending on where I'm at in the process. If I'm in, if I'm in first draft mode and I'm deep diving and I'm just writing my stuff, uh, right. Then I tend to wake up really. I would tend to wake up really late. I'll wake up around eleven, eleven thirty. This interview is actually quite quite early for me. And then I'll kind of ease into the day, do a little uh-huh. bit of work. Maybe I'll reread what I wrote the night before. Go over an outline. I'll kind of work, work, work. But really, the bulk of my work will start happening once it gets dark out, and I'll work till five or six or six thirty in the morning. Okay. I really like writing late at night. Right. Now, if I'm on a deadline and there's actually pages due for something, then all that goes out the window. And that's one of right. the things that Ice Age was really good about teaching me. Mm-hmm. Because I would say pre-Ice Age, I had a really strict sort of regimen. I could only write really late at night. I could never really be productive during the daytime. And that, you know, it felt like that was sort of how I'd always write. And then once Ice Age came along, Ice Age is this weird setup where I don't know how familiar you are with animation writing, but it's the closest thing as a writer you'll ever get to sort of a day job. You wake up, you go to the studio in the morning, you're there 9 to 6, you come home at night. And it's every right. day, and it might be for two years. So I really had to sort of adjust and learn to get to an office at 9 in the morning and start writing. Uh, wow. And so that really, in a very good way, broke me of some habits and made me feel like, okay, there could be a nuclear war going on around me, and it's 5 in the morning, and I can still deliver paper. That, by the way, gave me tremendous confidence. Because one of the things that I think as a writer, or at least for me, that early on I maybe suspected was, I can only write if X, Y, and Z factors are in play. And then right. suddenly getting an opportunity like Ice Age where the stakes are so high and I had to kind of, I had to write when I had to write. I had to deliver pages when they needed to send them to story department or to get them animated. It suddenly right. forced me to write outside of my comfort zone. And it gave me tremendous confidence that, oh, I, I actually, I had the ability to do this. It's just my comfort level happens to be something else. But it's not what's required for me to do my best work. Right. Okay. Um, what was it like? What was, sorry, what was it like writing Pan, like such a classic story, a, a new adaptation of that? Dude, Pan, Pan has been the greatest joy of my creative life. I mean, it's it's just been the most amazing experience. It, Pan really, I've wanted to do since I was nine years old. When I was, you know, this Disneyland ride, uh, the Peter Pan one, where you're in the miniature the pirate ship, you fly over miniature London. Yeah, yeah. So I went yeah. on it when I was nine years old. Yeah. And I got stuck with my dad at the part where you're suspended over miniature London for like 20 minutes. And wow. I remember this, mo- I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember asking my dad all these questions about how Peter Pan got to Neverland and how he can fly and why he and Hook don't like each other. And I genuinely, it feels like that idea was sort of born way back then where I developed this real fascination with what the origins, like Peter, that each of these characters were. And I, it's something I've thought about and come back to over the years ever since, for the last 20 years. And, right. you know, I really first decided I was going to write this probably when I was done with Ice Age. I finished Ice Age, and I thought, okay, I have this idea. It's Peter Pan origin story. It is a big, epic, world-building action-adventure thing set in Neverland, sort of in the vein of Harry Potter and Star Wars and all the things that I grew up falling in love with. And I went out, and I took it out as a pitch in late 2012, and nobody bought it. No one had any interest. I mean, I couldn't pay someone to buy this pitch. 
And the right. reason at the time was that everyone was trying to crack Peter Pan pitches. So every studio had something in development related to Peter Pan. Uh, the difference, in my mind, was that all the Peter Pan pitches, all the Peter Pan projects, rather, were studio-generated projects. Because so yeah. many studios are trying to explore IP and see an opportunity to cash in. So there were all these Peter Pan sort of studio-on-down mandated things that were in existence but not going anywhere and felt inorganic and not genuine. Whereas mine right. genuinely was something that, from the bottom of my heart, was my passion project I wanted to make. So I was quite bummed. Uh, and the only studio I hadn't pitched to was Warner Brothers, because Warner Brothers, notoriously, it's hard to get in there. It's hard to, unless you have a relationship with a producer or a studio. It's a difficult nut to crack. So I kind of right. accepted that Pan wasn't going to happen for the moment, but I continued to pitch it. I would pitch it to anyone. If you went on a date with me between 2012 and 2013, you probably <laughs> heard the pitch. <laughs> And I had an opportunity in, uh, right before summer of 2013, I finally got a general at Warner Brothers with an executive named Tara Schechter. And she uh-huh. said to me, if you could write anything, what would your dream project be? And I said, anything? She said, anything. I said, well, uh, I would use Peter Pan prequel idea I have, but you're never going to do it. Everyone already passed you. You're not going to want this. And she said, no, no, tell me what it is. And I sort of reluctantly said, all right, well, here's what I do. And Sarah said, to my great surprise, oh, we might do that. Go meet Greg Berlanti. And I never met Greg. I obviously knew who he was and was a big fan. Sat down with Greg. Greg said, I do that. And suddenly I sold my pitch with Greg Berlanti producing and Warner Brothers on board. Wow. And that was, uh, you know, and we were well aware that there was sort of a competitive field. So I, the, the mandate was write this thing quickly and write it great. Uh, and so I wrote it in about 10 weeks over the summer of 2013. Uh, definitively the most fun process I've ever had writing a first draft of anything. Uh, and then handed it in in the fall, went to the studio. Studio responded great. We got that big email where you find out what Greg Silverman, head of the studio, thinks. You hang on that, you know, because that's the, that's the vote that at that stage in the process counts so much. And we got the word that Greg had enjoyed the script and we were going to go out to directors. Uh, I would say within about two months of that, Joe Wright had read and was on board to direct. And suddenly this thing was real. It was kind of after a very long time of nothing happening with this idea. It was very exciting and somewhat mind-blowing how quickly things came together and in a way that I don't know that I could have imagined them coming together quite so perfectly. Joe, right. you know, Joe was sort of the dream director, and then a month after that, Hugh Jackman signs on to play Blackbeard, and you're kind of going, this is batshit crazy, and okay, cool. <laughs> it feels very surreal. Do you write for any certain actors, or do you just write it kind of the characters in your head that you've always seen, as I always imagine? Um, it's usually a combo. Some characters... Some characters are completely in your head. Some characters have components of actors in them. Uh, mm-hmm. In this case, you know, you're dealing with characters that exist in J.M. Barry's universe. Um, right. And for the most part, for the most part, we're dealing with characters that all existed to some degree. I mean, Nibs was a character in J.M. Barry's universe, but he didn't have a lot of, a lot of speaking lines, so there's a, a certain degree of invention there. Blackbeard is mentioned in the book, but uh, it's not actually in the story of Peter Pan. Uh, so, yeah, you, you definitely, it requires a little bit of thought in terms of creating these characters. Uh, and uh, for for Blackbeard, I actually always saw Hugh. I wrote that with Hugh in mind. Mm. And uh, for Hook, uh, I, I, Garrett was always my first choice, but I don't, I don't remember writing it specifically with Garrett's voice, because if you watch the film, it's not in fact Garrett's voice. It's Garrett right. creating this incredible character. Uh, for me, I always, I always saw Hook, our version of Young Hook, 
as someone sort of out of the 1920s, 1930s serial. You know, he felt like to me like a character out of Treasure of the Sierra Madre. So right. I had that in my head. Uh, and uh, Peter, uh, I wrote for me to play, and they didn't cast me. So what can you do? <laughs> Um, do you think you'll have a small part in this somewhere else? They, they claim they, they claim it's because I was too old, but I think that can read between the lines. They think you're too, too Jewish. <laughs> right. right. Are you in any small parts of the movie at all? No, no. You know, it's so hard to write for yourself. Yeah. It's hard enough just to write a great screenplay. I, I don't know how actor-writers sort of create things specifically aimed at that. Even the one thing I did write for myself was that, that's the fact I mentioned to you the last first time. That's where I got things going. But even, right. even that was not me sitting and going, I'm going to write myself a vehicle. It was, I had an idea that happened to have a role that was sort of well-suited to, to me. Um, but I, no, definitely, Pan, I would have loved for there to have been an opportunity for me at Pan, but uh, I've just as I wrote it, it didn't feel like there was anything that quite hit the mark. In your opinion, what makes a good story? That's a really big question. Um uh, I can I can't tell you what makes a good story because I think it's different for different writers and different people. I can tell you what I love about a story and what makes me want to stay there for two hours and watch it and rewatch it and tell people to go see it and what gets me excited to write it. For me, the things that make a good story uh, are primarily character and heart. If it's not character driven, if it's not heartfelt, uh, then I can't invest. You can have the greatest action sequences, be the most visually stunning thing in the world. The things that excite me, whether it's a screenplay or a novel or a play or a musical, uh, always are character first and heart first. I get excited about characters I've never seen, characters who I can relate with, characters who actually have some kind of arc, some kind of real change, as opposed to characters who stay in one mode and kind of exist on the same plane for an entire narrative. Um, right. I I love movies that have heart. I remember the movies as a kid that got me excited and opened up my imagination. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future. Those were all movies that were eventy and had amazing special effects and amazing set pieces. But the things that we, I certainly took away from them were the characters and the heart. Uh, and that's what I tried to do with Pan. I try. I really wanted Pan to be something that was big and epic and had opportunities for the action and for all the visuals. But at the end, it's really just a script about a kid, Peter, trying to find his mom. It's trying to tell a really focused, grounded, universal story, regardless of what's going on around it. And I think, I think Spielberg does that better than anyone else. I think right. Spielberg is so good at telling these very intimate, universal, relatable stories set against these extraordinary canvases. War, War of the Worlds, by the way, a great example of that. And uh-huh. I, I love making movies like that, and Pan was certainly an effort to do something like that. Yeah. I like hopeful stories. I'm not I'm not a particularly dark guy and I can go right. I can enjoy films that are dark and I can enjoy films that are sort of gritty. Um but I like films that even if they're dark, even if they're gritty, have a glimmer of hope. Um and I think that Pan and Peter's story certainly has that in spades. What's the most difficult step in the writing process for you? Every single step. It's so <laughs> it's all so hard. I mean, you write. You know what it's like. Yeah. And, and yeah. it changes. Every every script, the hardest part is a different part. You always think you kind of lift it. And so if on one script you go, oh, man, that third act was really tough. You think, oh, that's the hard part. I'm a guy who's third act are tough. And then you write the next script, and it's beautiful. The third act is the easiest thing you've ever written. But for some reason, you can't figure out the opening sequence. And then you figure out that opening in the next script. There's something in act two that you're stuck on. 
So it's it constantly is shifting. It's always hard. I'm always up until six in the morning pulling my hair out. I'm sure there are people for whom screenwriting is easy, but I'm just not one of them. See, uh, what advice do you have for young writers? Uh, write, 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 write. I feel that for me, I think I'm talented, but I think that to a certain extent, but I think that to the limited extent I've had success in my career is as much about talent as it is about working harder than anyone else and having the right temperament. And I think that a lot of writers or uh, people who are entering the business wanting to be writers, I think that they don't understand the amount of work that's required and that nothing is a substitute for writing and also that you just have to have the right attitude. To be successful as a screenwriter, you really have to have an ability to be punched in the face repeatedly and ask for more. For me, you really... You have to have the right attitude, and you have to be someone that people want to work with, and you have to be forever mindful that you're the most privileged human on earth if you're being paid to make up stories. So when you get notes you don't agree with, when you're in story meetings where there's tumult and different opinions, it's not clear what the path forward is. If you are the calmest guy in the room, and you are always, always open to people's opinions, and a genuine collaborator you will find that you can go much further in the business than if you have an attitude or get frustrated or get angry or get defensive. So really the, the keys for me are you got to write, never stop writing, work harder than the next guy, and just be a mensch. Be a nice guy, be a good person, and uh, it, it pays off. Is there anything else you could say about uh, Wonder Woman? You know, I wish. I mean, I all I can tell you, uh, DC oh. sort of operates very similarly to the Marvel Cinematic Universe where you right. know, speak, you die. Right. Um, so, so all all I really can say is that I've I've read all the same reporting as it relates to that movie and as it relates to my involvement with that movie that you have. It all sounds right. very exciting. Um, <laughs> I can tell you that I, I I absolutely love the DC comic book universe. It's something that uh-huh. I grew up falling in love with that my dad introduced me to. My dad is a big comic book guy. Wonder Woman uh, was my favorite DC comic. And so if I were lucky enough to be a part of that adventure, it would certainly be a, a tremendous privilege. But uh, more than that, I can't say. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset. Step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook, How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Kerry Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.